Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to another show. It is the draft show, uh, which has been very popular over the years. So we thought, why not, why not run it back from last year with our resident draft expert? The man spends I, like the entire year combing through footage from every league, uh, leagues that I didn't even know existed, footage that I didn't even know existed. You you were sending us Leonard Miller clips from obscure Canadian basketball games with like 12 people in the gym. Uh, he's the one and only Chip Jones. Chip, welcome back. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me on again, Ben. Uh, I'm looking forward to talking about some of our prospects. Maybe we'll even get to touch on Leonard Miller this time. He, well, he 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 slid quite a bit, didn't he? He was a he, he was a draft Twitter favorite, and he and he went all the way down to the second round. Yeah, but at least he got drafted this time. Last year it was he was getting the hype, and then he ended up pulling out. This year, at least we got we got to at least see him get his name called and hug Mark Tatum for a very very long time. He he went for like a twenty second hug. So last year we started the show by discussing the value of draft picks. We talked about that a little in the last episode with Cody, but I just want to reiterate something that we level set sort of the expectations on last year, which is that at the top of the draft, you really only expect a couple players to ever be stars. You know, the average draft might like have three or four stars or something. Four, Chip is holding up a four. I think we've done some recent analysis on it. But the other thing that's really interesting, and as we make our way through the lottery here and talk about these top players, that 11 to 20-ish spot, that like end of the lottery, out of the lottery, but not stashed at the end of the first round, that seems to consistently produce about a star every draft. And sure enough, we talked about it last year. We talked about some players who were candidates for that. And now a year later, looking at that, there's still guys who I think fit that build bill uh, going forward. And Jalen Williams of Oklahoma City is already kind of creeping into that space of like, oh, okay, here comes another one that we didn't really see. We talked about how he had an atypical draft profile. He's a, he's a unique player. He's a very unique player. Um, so we will keep that in the back of our head as we go through the draft today. Do you, do you have anything you want to add on that before we start uh, ramming through new NBA players after last night's draft? Yeah, no, I think you covered it pretty well. I think like the two things that I always like to add as perspective when we start like draft coverage is that on average, like 20 guys actually like stick and play rotation minutes past their like rookie contracts and like four are all stars. So we got to put that in the context that like, you know, I know everyone's optimistic, everyone's happy, they're excited, but your guy, you got to, you got to be a little realist, a little bit pragmatist. So we're going to practice some pragmatism here, I think. So with that in mind, um, I'll try to remember, maybe you can remind me or just uh, beat me to it, but what we're going to do is try to say a player is a project, a player is ready to contribute right now, or a player is essentially good right now. We want to put them in three different buckets. And by good, we don't mean an all-star, but we mean these guys that come in, they play right away, uh, they're capable of a lot of skills that, that map to the NBA, even if they're not top 50 players as rookies. When we say ready to contribute, that's someone who is potentially in and out of a rotation. Uh, and then a project just, it, 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 they could be the best player in the draft down the road. But it's just the idea that when you go to your turn on your team's first game this fall and you're like, now, wait a second, our eighth pick is in the G League. What's going on here? That's just because he's a project. So um, we're going to try to level set with those descriptions as we go through. 
Um, the other thing that's different this year, Chip, is I was lucky enough to do some coverage on some of the top picks, Victor Wembanyama, Scoot Henderson specifically, and then you know some of their teammates and some guys in the league that they play against, I got to see as well. So for those two players, um, NBA app has a profile on Scoot, a profile on Wemby, and then we just did sort of, <laughs> there was too much Wemby for me. It was, it was amazing. I got really into the French League playoffs. So there's a video on YouTube as well if you haven't seen that. So we'll point people in that direction. But you have not, on this show, talked about Victor Wembanyama. He went first. Uh, what are your really quick thoughts on sort of the expectations that have been placed on him? And now that we know he's going to San Antonio, what we might see, let's say, in his rookie year? Yeah, I mean, I think the expectations, obviously, he's very good. Uh, I'm not, not going to hot take out here and say Victor Wembanyama is not good. Um, he's he's definitely great. Uh, I think San Antonio is a great landing spot. I mean, it's hard to find an organization with a better track record of developing players, and not only developing players, but developing stars, like number one picks, and really helping them kind of capitalize on all that potential they have. So, I mean, I think in terms of fit, it, it doesn't really get much better than that, surely. Um, I think year one, there's going to be a lot of defensive impact. It'll be interesting to see where the shot ends up. I think that's like the big thing. If year one's going to be like crazy, it's going to be because he shoots well. Um, I think there's a little bit of a misconception because everyone watched those G League scrimmages at the start of the year. Those were like really hot. And he shot like the lights out. And then he went back to France and shot like 27% from three. So he's not actually like that great of a shooter yet, but he has a very good touch. But I definitely think as like a play finisher, as a passer, and as a defender, he's going to be super impactful, and the Spurs are going to win a lot more games than they did this past year. Yeah, I'm really excited to see the trajectory of his defense across the rookie year because you have some learning period when you play like your first 30, 40 games in the league, adjusting to the speed, adjusting to the schedule. I love his mentality and approach to basketball, and even in his recent uh, interview on the J.J. Redick podcast, if you haven't heard that, I, I recommend it as a great listen. He, he ta- and he did it last night at the draft. He talks about how he wants to learn quickly. I want to learn. And it's, that's just the mentality. Like, like, how do I continue to grow and get better? And with his de- defensive tool set, it's, it's, to me, it's a question of when, not if, he gets to this like, upper echelon of defensive class, starts making all defensive teams, because it's, it's really an incredible defensive package uh, that he has. So Victor Wembanyama, day one. The other thing is, the three categories we talked about. Project, ready to contribute, good right now. I started thinking about this when I was watching him, Chip, because his plus minus, it's hard to get plus minus in like these smaller leagues, but they play almost 50 games in France. And the team is like notably worse when he's on the bench. Um, I don't think I had per 100 possessions, but like per game, he was like two or three points worse per game when he went to the bench, and then they were like plus six, plus five and a half, plus six or something as a point differential. And of course, he was ultimately selected as the MVP of that league. So it's like sometimes we see players, and I've seen a lot of comments, uh, especially on some of the videos I put out about like, ah, he's a bust. He's, he's this version of some other European player. You got to remember, to me, the difference between um, like here's a guy in a really small league who has all these tools because he's tall and skilled versus Wemby playing in a much better league and already being good. And I think he's already good because of the things we talked about defensively uh, and with some of his other athletic tools offensively. So Victor Wembanyama, number one to the Spurs. The second pick last night 
which I think might have been a surprise to some people. I got a few text messages when it went through. Brandon Miller goes number two to Charlotte. Uh, Chip, I give you the floor. Is new, new Paul George, is that, is that what we're to expect? Yeah, that's, uh, that's <laughs> very lofty ambitions, especially because according to Brandon, Paul George is the greatest player of all time. So that's comparing himself to Paul George and then saying Paul George is the greatest ever. Is, that's, that's quite confident. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Brandon could shoot the lights out. He's a really interesting one because, like, two years ago, he wasn't even the best player in his own AAU team, and now he's the number two pick in the draft. So it's been a lot of development over the last, like, year and a half, I think, for him. And, I mean, he really can shoot the lights out. One of the big things this year was his finishing wasn't great, but his finishing improved throughout the year, which I think is super cool. The defense is a bit concerning, but overall, I mean, I think he's definitely falling into our ready-to-contribute category. I want to ask you about the defense in a second, but first, from what I've seen offensively, first of all, he's huge, right? He's yes. a good 6'8", yeah. maybe taller. I don't, I'm not sure what he measured yeah, at. He's like 6'8". Yeah, so, so to your point uh, about finishing and his shot, he doesn't actually get off the ground that much when he shoots. It's a really interesting thing. It's like kind of a little hop, um, but he shoots it against defenders. He shoots it moving in different directions. He shoots it off the dribble, off the step back, going sideways. And that connects to that finishing point you made because he's not super vertical uh, despite being big. So it's a really interesting offensive package because if you are legit this good of a shooter, which he looks like, uh, the spacing that you can provide in today's NBA game and the movement shooting, he can move and shoot, catching it and, and getting it off handoffs in all different directions. That's pretty exciting. But when you start talking about Paul George, who I think is one of the most underrated players of this generation, maybe ever when you think about like the reputation a guy has versus some of the seasons and career he's put together, Paul George was an amazing defender at his peak. He's still probably a good defender, but I mean, at his peak in Indiana, just a wrecking ball out there, able to switch uh, is big enough to protect the rim, guard multiple positions, uses length to bother people. Miller looks the part physically, I think, ju- thus the comparison. But where where do you see him stacking up right now defensively? And maybe, like, what's, what's the pr- uh, possibility going forward? Yeah, I mean, I think the possibility going forward is that he could be, a, like, a neutral to maybe even a positive defender. Right now, he's going to be like he's going to be very, very bad on defense. Like you give him one move and you're past him, and it's it's like an Ole defense, as they say. It's it's not not great right now. I think year one, he's he's really gonna have a tough time on that end. I think Charlotte's probably gonna try and hide him. Okay, makes sense. Um, so, anything else we want to say on Brandon before we we move on? Uh, well, we got ready to contribute, so he's in the middle tier. I think. I think we're good on that. Okay, yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, Let's go to Scoot Henderson. Again, we've already done a decent amount of video work on Scoot Henderson. I think the big thing here is him moving down a little bit to Portland. Scoot's interesting to me, Chip. I don't think we've actually talked about him much yet. I'm kind of fascinated about whether he can become in the NBA a really good defender because right now I would not say watching him on film he's consistently 
a good defender. He has these little flashes because he's so athletic. He's got such great tools. Uh, the other thing is, you know, he's, he's built like a football player. You have like a football background and you, at least for me, I think defensive wrecking balls. When I think that in high school, the, the kids that played football and basketball is like, oh, they're going to, they're going to take your stuff if you get too close to them and they're going to body you and things like that. So, um, that combination is a really interesting thing, but where do you kind of land on Scoot right now? What what are you expecting when he gets to Portland, or if he gets to Portland? I shouldn't be presumptive. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of sort of motion in the works right now with him and the entire franchise. Yeah, I mean, Scoot was for me the clear cut number two prospect in the draft. I think he was kind of you know obviously not in that Wemby tier, but I do think he was in a tier of his own compared to the other guys. Um, I think it was a great pick by Portland. I think they've set themselves up in a position where they could move on for Dame and possibly have their next guy that can like actually be the number one on a title team if he you know starts hitting his ceiling and stuff. Um, that being said, I think I agree with you. Defensively, he looks like a safety. Like the he'd be like the greatest safety of all time in the NFL, just like roaming around. And I think when teams try to throw like outlet passes and he's already back in transition, you get some crazy snatches and players bouncing off of him when they both go for a ball, despite him being a six-two guard, which is hilarious to see. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think offensively, a phenomenal passer, really cool processor. I'm actually interested what you think between our ready to contribute and good right now tiers. Which one would you put Scoot in? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think he definitely needs to be thought about as good right now. The here's here's where the defensive thing comes into play, and maybe some of his other questions with his shot because he's still so young. When he plays in the G League. He, like, like Victor, gets to play guys that are better than college players. He gets to play guys that are coming in and out of the NBA. So the first game I watched him play, he plays the Memphis Hustle. There's like five players who have played in the NBA last year playing against him for the Memphis Hustle. Um, I don't think that was his greatest game. I always like to look at, like, how do you do against much better competition? But if the, if the shot struggles and if the defense isn't there, then I would put him in the ready-to-contribute category, meaning if he's on a playoff team, you could see him going in and out of the rotation, potentially. But if he is in a situation where he's learning and growing and improving from last year, he has the defensive buy-in, he's got focus and understands the scheme of a team, I think he's good right now because, again, he's in that league. He's clearly the best player on his team. Now, G League Ignite, I think, finished last in the league just because of the makeup of the team. But... That's kind of what I'm, that's my headspace going forward. And it's funny to think about because plenty of players who are asked to be number one players offensively, especially guys that are like 6'6 and under, when they take on that offensive load, the defense gets left behind. And so you could sit here in a couple of years and say, Scoot Henderson did turn into an all-star. He's a star in this league, but we just don't think of him as a very good defender. We think of him as a really good offensive player. And yet I see this other possible path for him, which is like maybe he never gets to super-duper stardom on offense, but man, if he's a good defender, and if that clicks right now, I think I'd put him in the good right now category because I do think athletically and sort of basketball skill and feel-wise, he's he's ready to contribute at the NBA level at at that uh, at that level, basically. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I would definitely put him in good right now. I think Scoot's, Scoot's going to be a big... I mean, he was dropping 30 in the G League as a 17-year-old, so... Yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So um, these, these next two guys uh, might raise a different question in this conversation. I thought it was super cool to see them drafted together. Uh, the Houston Rockets took Amen Thompson and the Detroit Pistons in the fifth pick, then took Azar Thompson, his twin brother, the Thompson twins from overtime elite. Uh, I have seen them play a little bit. The number one thing that jumps out is just nuclear athleticism. They're like a good, what, six, seven. Again, I don't have the, anytime you have an official, okay. So maybe like six, six barefoot ish. So anytime you have an official measurement or wingspan or something functional that might help jump in. Um, but both of these guys, the way they move as wings, like explosive, slippery, wiry, but of course, they played in this overtime elite league, um, so it's hard to gauge. Chip, where are you on them right now? And I'll throw it back at you because maybe the biggest question in my head is on our scale of like project to ready to contribute to good right now, um, how do you feel about these guys? Yeah, I actually would – I think a lot of people would throw them in project just from looking at like optically playing in the overtime elite league and kind of – you know, both of them are kind of non-shooters at this point. I would actually throw both in ready to contribute, like day one. I think, and I think there's a chance that, like, especially a SAR could be good right now, um, just because he's a bit further along as a shooter and he's more, he's got more of a, basically, a, a men and a SAR, but despite being twins, they're slightly different players. Um, a men is kind of more of an on, like a ball handler, like he's kind of like a point guard. You want him to run your offense. I think he led OTE in assists. Um, yeah, I think his passing chops jumped out. Yeah, a little more his, compared to his brother. Yeah. His passing is really, really good. He's got a very, very, very nice uh, handle. He's very good at getting past that like first level defender. He doesn't need a screen. He can you know throw some moves, and he has one of the quickest first steps we've ever seen. So I mean, he throws a really, really nice move at you, and then throws the quickest first step ever at you, and he's he's past his man. Um, I think the concern with him is he didn't always get to the rim and finish after that. He's very much looking to pass. And it's one of those things where he's not a great shooter. And sometimes those players that aren't great shooters, they then don't want to go to the free throw line because they're not good at shooting those free throws. So then they develop this very contact-averse finishing profile. And I think that's a bit worrying for a man because his core is a little stiff. He's not like – he's a very slithery athlete, but in those tight corridors around the rim, he's maybe not as flexible as some of the you know greatest slithery-type finishers, right? Um, but, I mean, still, I, I had a man number three on my board. I think he's going to be phenomenal. I, I think he's – He's exactly what Houston kind of needed with someone who can like kind of run the ship. Uh, let me jump in there. So last year we referenced the sort of NBA draft Twitter consensus board. This this year again, um, at Wolves Culture, that's Wolves underscore culture, has gone out and put together the consensus Twitter draft board, taking uh, boards from all kinds of draft nicks on Twitter and putting them together. It's a really interesting data set to look at because this season, unlike last season, Wembenyama was the unanimous number one across the board. Scoot Henderson was number two, and Scoot Henderson was number two with an average ranking of just over two, which was about the same average ranking as our top two picks last year in Palo Bancaro and uh, Chet Holmgren. They, they were kind of divided about who was the top pick there. So those two guys were in their own class. 
Then we have a drop to the next tier, and Amen Thompson and Brandon Miller were in that next tier basically by themselves, and his brother was down at seventh. So that's a good segue to his brother and maybe some of the differences in skills between him. Yeah, so the first thing that jumps out with his brother is he's not as confident of a ball handler. So that's kind of where the Amen, like his big appeal, I mean, every team needs someone who can handle the ball, right? So Amen being a ball handler, that's like his thing. Asar doesn't have that, so he has to rely on more like ancillary skills. So he's not as good of a passer as Amen, but he's still a very, very good passer. He's a phenomenal passer. He's an incredible athlete. He's a great defender. So I think you look at those kind of connectory, like, those guys in league history who have been like some of the best athletes in the league, they're phenomenal defenders in the wing, and they're also like incredibly smart passers and processors, and they're nightmares in transition to deal with. That's kind of what you're looking at with Asar. It's kind of like a, if he kind of hits his ceiling outcome, and his shot was not that bad at, towards the end of last season. He started shooting pretty well, and OT has really good shooting coaching. So even though the games weren't necessarily as high quality, their off-the-court coaching was very good. Um, so I think with him, you're looking at like a supercharged role player, which could be kind of exactly what Detroit needed. With um, either of them, but I'm, I'm especially interested in your thoughts on a men here. Do you think right now the combination of live dribble processing and passing chops is going to produce plays in the league where if you're attacking closeouts, um, you beat your man off the dribble, or maybe even you're in a delayed transition situation. Anything getting you downhill is that combination of like live ball handling and passing vision. Is that enough where we're going to see right out of the gate like, oh, these are really nice assists in these dynamic situations, whether it's a spray or a laydown pass or whatever. Is that something we should expect from them? You know, they're put in a position now in the league where so often you're you're attacking you get a handoff you're attacking a closeout and you have to make that read 100 percent. amen and asar would have each of them would have been the best passer in last year's draft class they were the best passers in this year's draft class and they would have been the best passers in next year's draft class they're I, very 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 good passers I, I i love it i love hearing this um anything else on these guys before we move on to the next pick yeah, I guess the only the only thing I'd add is just like a little bit of the, the off-court profile. I think people, when they see the OTE, it's not as serious, and they kind of think, oh, these guys aren't as serious about... They're, they're more serious about basketball than like anyone in the class, maybe outside like Wemby and Scoot. Like, they're some of the most serious about basketball guys there. They don't mess around off the court. They just poop. They're like very, very serious about their craft. That Like, I would not worry about any like, you know, unserious, not, not like... You know, not taking it super seriously type stuff. They're they're very much trying to win games and be adamantly like pros. So I I just like wanted to dispel some of that because I see some of that and that's just not the case at all. So um, a project maybe ready to contribute would be the expectation. Yeah, I would say they're ready to contribute, but I could see the argument for putting them in who, a project. Okay. Well, the interesting thing, and I, I guess I should ask before we go to the next pick the environments they're going into feel very different to me from the outside. Houston, uh, it's going to be a new situation with Ime Yudoka coming in. But last year, uh, I got to do this video on um, Alperin Shengun, and it's like the environment there was almost chaotic. The, the offensive structure is almost chaotic. So that's where Amen's going. Uh, his twin brother, Azar, is going to Detroit, where you're going to have Monty Williams, who I think the, his absolute best strength as a coach 
is just the systemic stabilization he puts into a team. You might get Cade Cunningham back. You have Jaden Ivey. So maybe talk about your thoughts quickly on the difference in situation. Yeah, I mean, I think I think both of them landed in pretty good fits because I think Houston needs that guy who can like kind of organize the offense and kind of run things. And I think you talked about Shingun. I mean, Shingun having dribble handoffs with one of the best athletes in the league getting downhill. I mean, he already has that in Jalen Green. Now he has two of them with the men. So I think that's going to be super fun to watch. I, I think immense fits. I think that both their fits are good. I think Asar, like you mentioned, like Cade is very tactically smart and he like finds a lot of like rifts in the opposing defense. And I think Asar does the same thing. So I think they're going to like, despite being two of the younger guys in the league now, I think they're going to make some defenses look silly and come up with some very, very intelligent plays that are going to be some top play candidates. Okay, both both very fun. Um, let's move on with the number six pick in the draft. Orlando selected Anthony Black from Arkansas. What can you tell us about him? Yeah, so I mean, Anthony Black was also a five-star, six-foot-seven wide receiver prospect uh, coming in. So he, he chose basketball. He went to Arkansas. Um, he is very much in that like connector kind of mold. He's a six-seven guard. He's very very athletic. He's a phenomenal passer. The shot not quite there. He really relied in college at getting the free throw line a lot, and a lot of the ways he got to the free throw line don't necessarily seem like they're going to translate super well to the NBA. So the scoring is a bit worrying, especially with Orlando's guard situation where they've got like Markel Fultz and Jalen Suggs and. A lot of guards who can't shoot, and they took another guard who can't shoot, which is a bit uh, concerning. But I think Anthony Black, phenomenal dude, phenomenal athlete, great passer, super smart, very good defender. I think he definitely can provide value to them, and he's he's definitely got a lot of a lot of things going for him. Yeah, with these guys that come in and seem to be more defensively inclined right away. I mean, I guess my shot, my big question would be, where do you think his spot up shooting is? Out of, out of the gate for day one bad I, I don't he can't shoot I don't think he can shoot okay so um then does that mean he you're you're hesitant to put him in a ready to contribute role right away I think he's ready to contribute just because he's really smart and he's good on defense and he's gonna like pass and I think he's gonna I think they'll have him run some pick and rolls and he'll make really smart reads and he's very good at like pacing himself and putting his defender on his back hip and kind of reading and stuff so I think he'd be ready to contribute, but I also could see the argument for Project. I was a lot lower on Anthony Black than sixth, so I, I'd probably still put him in ready to contribute, but I can see the argument for Project. We should point out that he was 10th on the NBA uh, Twitter consensus, consensus draft yeah. board. Yeah, uh, his average slot was 10th. He, he was 10th. The highest position anyone had him in was 4th. So uh, in a sense, uh, Orlando disagreeing with the draft Knicks of Twitter here and taking him at number six. But I'm fascinated by players with his build and his defensive chops. And he's just kind of seems like he's got a high motor when he's out there and things like that. So that can, I think, translate well to contributions as a rookie if some of the other things um, click, basically, when you're out there. Okay. Now we've reached the <laughs> we've reached my favorite and least favorite part of the draft. Uh, Bilal Koulibaly from he, he played with Victor Wembanyama in France, so I got to see him quite a bit down the stretch of the season. He was taken seventh by the Indiana Pacers and then traded for the eighth pick, uh, Jarris Walker, for the Wizards and the uh, Pacers making this trade. Um, 
Chip, I will give you the floor on these two guys just for perspective before you start. Koulibaly was 15th on the NBA uh, draft Twitter board, but he's someone who's extremely young. He's 18 years old, and he has sort of had this nuclear rise up the board in the last couple months. He was under six feet tall, I think, a couple years ago, so it's uh, coincided with a growth spurt, and he contributed in a meaningful way in the playoff run for that team uh, in the French uh, finals that we just saw wrap up. And then um, Walker was fifth on the NBA Twitter draft board. So they liked him even more than his position here. Uh, t- take it away. Start with one of these guys. Get into the trade. Whatever you see fit. Um, because, the yeah, go ahead. Are you sure? I don't, I don't want to take the lead on Bilal. I know that's your guy. That's, he is my, He is my guy. But go <laughs> whatever you want to provide, um, go for it. I'm still recovering from this tra- this shocking trade. All right. Well, I'll start with I'll start with Jarius then to to leave the Bilal a little bit open. Um, I mean, Jarius is a sensational athlete. He's a 19 year old. He's like six eight, 240 pounds, with a seven two wingspan. Um, he's really really well built for how young he is. Phenomenal motor, phenomenal defender. Uh, he went to the University of Houston. They don't they just won't recruit guys who aren't like in that like Houston culture. And I mean, using some of the guys they've produced like Quentin Grimes. Uh, recently, like it's that type of thing where it's a lot of like effort, rebounding, grit and grind, hustle. They don't recruit guys who don't do that. So Jerry's coming in as a five-star freshman, and them being like, "Yeah, this guy does the things that we want," is really, I think, an indictment on how how cool of a player he is. He's like I, a sensational touch passer. Yeah, you go. Well, I just I would I love that you got Quentin Grimes in there for thinking basketball. Bingo. Um, so so keep going. Talk about his touch passing. Of course, I mean, Jarius is, like, one of the quickest decision-makers in the draft. Like, his passing, he'll have the ball. Like, he's already decided where it's going to go before he gets it. He knows exactly what he needs to do. Like, the ball is, it's like it touches his fingertips, and it's already rerouted to the where it's supposed to go type passing. Like, super quick decisions for, like, a big forward who can screen. He can run pick-and-rolls as a big player to the short roll. Uh, They loved getting him off the um, wedge actions to get him the ball around, like, that free-throw line area and stuff. So, I I think he's... He's really, really solid. There's some questions about his scoring on offense, but I, I do think that his shot was probably – it's very slow, but it worked well in the beginning of the season. He relies on that floater a lot, doesn't always get all the way to the rim, but I think him as a ball handler is something that's going to have to develop. But I think attacking closeouts, playing off of some of the other things, and then also just being an absolute demon in transition and on defense and making the opposing team's lives uh, unpleasant. Do you like him as like a small ball – center is that a possibility i mean having seen a little bit of him i think his versatility seems to be part of his selling point but he also is he's a big dude he he's not a small guy um but as you said i mean i think he's listed at about six eight it's not like he's a traditional six eleven big man um is that something that is part of the appeal yeah, def- I definitely think he could play some five in some stretches. I think, you know, people look at, like, Aaron Gordon, that, like, oh, the four is so valuable when you have that, that athletic four can, like, clean things up and do some stuff on offense and really, you know, hustles. I think Jerry's profiles in that perfectly. Cool. I love it. Um, Koulibaly. <laughs> Actually, before we move on to Koulibaly, uh, with Walker, what, what category do you want to put him in? Do you, do you think he's ready to good contribute? Right now. Good, good, right, good now. right now. Good right now. I love it. I love it. This is what we're here for, Chip. Good right now. Okay, so we expect him 
to be playing and helping Indiana this season. Yes. Love it. Um, the opposite end of the spectrum, I think, is true for someone who I've, I've been fortunate enough to see a lot and become quite fond of. Um, Koulibaly, I will still let Chip lead the way, but the thing in my head that I want to I share that I just jumps off the page when I see him, jumps off the screen, um, his movement patterns. He's, he's a good, like, 6'6". Uh, actually he measured himself and I think he's bare, his barefoot height was six, six and a half. So we are talking about a very long seven foot plus kind of wingspan, very wiry, but he's very quick, very smooth. And it took me a while to figure out like, I've seen this guy move before at this size. And the person I was thinking of in my head is Scotty Pippen who, of course, was one of the great players ever and one of the great defenders ever. And Koulibaly just has that pop on both ends of the floor. He's got the potential, I think, to be quick off the dribble on offense and to be devastatingly good as a wing defender, if all the boxes are checked. Uh, but he's young, and I think we're still talking about a project. So, Chip, you've, you've done deeper work on him. What, what else can you tell us about him? Yeah, Bilal's definitely a project. So his rise this season kind of started with... At the beginning of the year, he was not on draft boards like at all. No one knew who he was. Uh, and then he started dominating the French under-21 league. I think he was averaging like 22 points, like seven rebounds, three assists. He was just absolutely killing them. Started getting some chances for the senior team and then started doing really well in those as more of like a role player, less of like the on-ball dominant star he was in the under-21s. Contributed for them in the playoffs. Um, so, I mean, he's definitely very good. Definitely a project, though. He's 18. He's got this really big frame and these cool movement skills, like Ben mentioned, which are incredibly cool. He's so fun to watch, just like move around and jump. And he's pretty explosive because usually you get those guys who are super flexible and have the crazy movement skills. Not as explosive. He's pretty explosive. He's got a lot of pop around the rim. Um, Below, I think on defense, he's still he's still 18. He's still skinny, so he's not super physical. And I think that can kind of hold him back sometimes. And then I would say on offense, he can't shoot. Um, which is obviously a bit of a problem. And then he's, he's pretty right-hand dominant. But he's a really skilled ball handler. Well, not really skilled, but he's, he's got some pretty solid ball handling stuff. He's a pretty smart passer. He's just really smart at picking his spots and knowing where to go on the court. And he processes the game really well. And you can kind of tell that he's still learning, but you can also tell that he's very smart by watching him play. The, the shooting thing is interesting, of course, because it's, it's such a big skill in today's game. It's a big deal for a wing defender. It's a big deal for someone who's potentially uh, a wing player who's potentially an elite defender. You know, you look at like Herb Jones and players like this, um, still very good, but the shooting becomes this limiting factor or messes up the balance of lineups. So it's still a big question mark. But what's fat, what I love about players like this who are so young and have a meteoric rise is you're not necessarily looking at them going, oh, they're locked into their shot mechanics that they've been taking step back jumpers with since they were 14 because they're the number one guy on their team. It's more like this, this dude almost just came out of nowhere and as players like that develop, if you get the right shooting coach, if you get the right mechanics down, um, we have seen examples of players taking huge leaps as shooters. Not that I'm uh, predicting this per se, but it's just it's a different thing to me than guys who have been in the same mental rhythm of like, oh, I've been I've been the number one guy since I was 14. Here's my shot. And it turns out that by the time you're 20 and you're playing NBA competition, that shot actually isn't good enough to fly and then you have to tweak the mechanics that way. So I'm excited about all of these things um, pertaining to Koulibaly. I should also point out 
something really interesting to me. The the draft Twitter board, um, the highest position someone had him in was fifth. The lowest position was 40th. So you get a very wide range with someone who's a project like this. And I think we talked about this a little chip last year, but I think a lot about like lowest uh, or floor, like a, like a reasonable floor outcome for a prospect, the median outcome for a prospect, what we, what we might think of like a, a typical trajectory, and then the ceiling. Um, where are you on drafting guys that might have much higher ceilings but the median or floor outcome might be lower. Yeah, so I think the thing that I would say is it's all about like what you can provide the context to develop. Um, and I think we can come back to this in the next one, and I think that's a really good example for it. But I think if you have the context to develop a guy, because most of these guys aren't ready year one. There's like two or three guys a year that are really like good enough to be playoff contributors year one. So a lot of times I think people look at fit as, oh, we're going to get this square peg for our square hole. But most of these guys, they're like kind of square pegs for being college players trying to go to the NBA, right? So they're not necessarily ready yet. You need to develop them. So guys, you can get the context to develop. If you can provide the context to develop Bilal Kulubali, which I kind of think that Washington can with Tyus Jones and Monte Morris and Jordan Poole. There's a lot of like table setting and ball handling around him. So I think they can. I think it's a great pick then. Yeah. Um, well, well said. So you you alluded to this. The next pick with the... Utah Jazz at number nine was Taylor Hendricks from Central Florida. He he's a big guy. Um, also eighth on NBA Draft Twitter's board. What do we need to know about him? Yeah, Taylor Hendricks is super fun. If we want to talk fun movement skills, this is another fun movement skills guy. Um, you're definitely looking at that power forward archetype of like you know that everyone wants to, the buzzword Aaron Gordon buzzword usage uh, power forward. Jerry's was a fin- or Jerry's <laughs> also fits in that Taylor Hendricks phenomenal rim protector at UCF. I'm not as high in the as the numbers are just. I think he had like a near 10% block rate for like parts of the season, which is like that's like top tier big man type block rates as a power forward. I think he's very a bit antsy, but I think he's really cool. I think one of the cool things about him uh, earlier in the season against Florida State, they did an interview with him, and the commentator said that. His favorite player that he tries to model his game after is Anthony Davis, which I think was a really hmm. cool answer. You don't get that one a lot. Uh, it's usually Kevin Durant. Uh, so, I mean, he can shoot. Like, he can shoot day one. Very good shooter. Um, and defensively, I think he can provide a lot of value. I think he's decent on the perimeter, and I think he's a very good shot blocker. So, I mean, when you're talking about the 3 and D kind of plug our holes uh, power forward, he definitely fits that archetype, like, perfectly. When you say he's a little antsy out there, uh, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Like, he's less so reading the plays and more so reading the ball, I think. And he's, like, he's not necessarily using a lot of foresight into, like, what is going to happen when my timing needs to be. He's just relying on his tools to be like, all right, I'm there, and I'm just going to jump, and I'm going to block the ball. Instead of kind of reading and processing, like, what type of pick and roll is this? What does their guard like to do? So that's more, you're saying on defense, primarily. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. Okay. Um, and then where, based on that, do you think he's ready to contribute right now i mean you know if you're if you're a big guy and you can defend yeah. we saw that we saw this last year with walker kessler um you know sort of uh, another player who coming out of nowhere relative to draft boards and scouts and things like that you get you get in the nba game and your shot blocking translates your awareness translates in his case he's giant uh with a giant wingspan 
that that can be something that even if you're not going to be a five-time all-star he can contribute right away where where do you see him day yeah. one in the yeah, league? yeah and i guess i didn't mention hendrix is like 6'9 220 as a 19 year old so he's also pretty big he's in that power forward size right uh, I think, you know what, I'll actually, I'll be bold on this. I think he's good right now. I think he's on the fringes of good right now and ready to contribute. The thing I'll say with him is, and we talked about, I kind of mentioned in the last one with fit, is the offense Will Hardy's kind of built in Utah is like super read and react. We get all these guys who can dribble, pass, and shoot, and we just put them in like good situations to kind of react and make a decision with all the skills they have. I actually think Taylor Hendricks' biggest weakness was coming up with plans when he got the ball on offense. He kind of looked like a deer in headlights a lot of the time. He had no idea what to do when he got the ball. And I think in Utah's offense, that's a bad fit. But he's a 6'9 defensive forward who can shoot threes. And I think he showed some promising flashes of, like, you know, on a closeout, giving his man one move, getting past him, and then, you know, dunking from a step in from the free throw line because he's a very, very good athlete. So I think he's definitely... Definitely ready to contribute. I would go on the fringes of good right now. I love the boldness, especially given the situation in Utah with with some of the lineups that uh, Will Hardy will run out there, and maybe some of their playoff aspirations this season. But I mean, the other the other side of this that we should mention, it's worth stating explicitly, it is so much harder to make that accurate decision for every player in terms of like, where is he right now before you get to see them play NBA competition? So even for me over the years, seeing guys in summer league, I've seen the number of guys in the last like five years alone, I've seen in the first summer league game and you go, okay, he's good, he's good, he's not that good. And then you go check their draft position and it's like, wait, this the good guy was taken 21st because that information that, you know, from his season, from like March and April is already almost stale the second you get to see them play this competition. So um, I love the boldness, Chip. I appreciate it because I think, you know, get, getting these um, getting these sort of mappings from where they are when they're in college or their pro league before they get to the NBA, trying to figure out where guys are going to be six months later, it's, it's really a difficult task. With, with that said, um, someone from... No, I was going to say Kansas was taken next. The The next pick was back to the Magic, Michigan, big-time college basketball, a familiar household name. Not a fam- not the next pick. Am I, am I reading the pick wrong? I am getting the pick right. Yes, this is great. This is fantastic podcasting. I'm not Jason getting the Wallace, pick. Kentucky. I the skipped Oklahoma the pick. Thunder. I skipped yes. the pick. Okay, yes. The te- Thank you. The 10th pick is the Mavericks. Um, but this traded pick was Thunder. This was traded, right. This yes. is the Thunder. Yeah. Okay. Whew, okay, the confusion is starting already with the trades. Um, the Mavs picked Kaysen Wallace from Kentucky, kind of like a 6'4 ball hockey defender type. Is that, is that right? Um, but he's going, yeah. to, he's going to the Thunder. Yes. Tell us what we need to know about him. Yeah, I mean, I think the most common comp with Kaysen is uh, Drew Holiday. So I think he's probably not quite Drew Holiday, but he's – is a pretty convincing Drew Holiday impersonator at the very least. Um, Okay. So I actually got to cover Drew Holiday when he was at UCLA. Of course. Um, The thing I've been trying to think about this over the years, like he, what was he like in his year at UCLA and how did that connect to what he ultimately became a few years later when he hit his prime in the NBA? The two things that really jumped out to me at UCLA, obviously the defense and just a young guard, 
being willing and able to switch and use length and be in good position and make defensive plays and slide and stay in front of the ball and work on that end. But offensively, a good passer as an 18 or 19-year-old freshman in big-time college basketball. So do we have the same kind of thing on both ends with him, or would you say it's more of a defensive comparison? I think it's kind of the same on both ends, but I will say the the part that makes me hesitate and not say he's going to be Drew Holiday is the sliding and staying in front of the ball. There's some technique stuff on ball on the perimeter that's not great, but like his processing, like uh, sometimes Kentucky would have pick and rolls in possessions where they would have different bigs, and the different bigs on the court would run different PNR coverages in the same lineup, and Kaysen would be at the point of attack, and he would know which big was behind him in the pick and roll and switch which coverage he was running based off the big that he was paired with for that pick and roll mm-hmm. and like the same possession. Like, he would run, like, a oh, I go over the screen and a drop, and then he would run, like, a ice in the same possession, just flipping as a 19-year-old, which I think is super, super cool to see. I think he's super smart defensively. He's got really good athletic tools. He's got a lot of vertical pop for a guard. He's got a long wingspan. Um, Just, like, super toolsy, smart defender. And on offense, I think he started showing more towards the end of the season. I do think he's a good passer. He's more of, like, a combo guard, shooting guard type kind of on offense. He's not, like, a gunner. But he's clearly not like a point guard, point guard, which I think a lot of people would kind of say about Drew as well, um, especially early on. But I think his passing is pretty solid. I think he can shoot well. I buy the shot. And I think he showed a lot better uh, job getting downhill at Kentucky towards the end of the season. I love it. I love it. What are the shooting indicators for him right now? Uh, I think he was 37% on threes this year. And then I don't know what his free throw percentage was offhand, but I can pull it up in a second. Okay. Um, well, Chip does that. I will mention that, uh, since I couldn't get the order of the draft right for, uh, Wallace, he was ninth on Twitter's big board and was as high as third. There are only a couple players who reached that obviously our top picks from Wembenyama, Scoot Henderson, uh, both Thompson twins, Brandon Miller, Walker, and one other player who we will we will mention uh, was as high as third on all of these draft boards across the sort of Twitter draft universe. And Wallace was the last player that was um, slated that high by someone in the Twitter draft community. Do you have his shooting splits? I do. Yes. He shot... Uh, 34.6% on 7.4 attempts per 100 possessions. He was 75.7% from the free throw line, um, but he was also 35 100, uh, 35% on catch and shoot threes. So he's 35% okay. on the catch, like 75% from the free throw line. Uh, I think overall, I, I think he's a solid shooter. Okay. I, 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 he'll shoot. I, I, I am a big fan of the shooting indicators and splits, but another thing that sometimes gets lost in that discussion is especially with young players. I'm looking at how they get into the shot. I'm looking at the technique. I'm looking at the feet. Um, you're thinking about their age even because, you know, the older you get, in theory, the harder it is to change your shot. So just something to keep in mind when we share shooting indicators. Yeah. He was also 45% on long twos, which long twos, especially with 19-year-olds, is often a very, very strong indicator because a lot of times they're not strong enough to get those full threes without like kind of messing up their form. He was 45% on a pretty solid volume. That's such a great point because the other thing that does, um, especially when you have this shorter line and this shorter season, is it gives you larger samples. So you can say, okay, I can look at the guy's shot from 22 feet, but what if I just look at all of his shots outside 15 feet? All of a sudden, I have three or 400 shots, and I kind of can get a better idea of whether he was lucky one way or the other 
on his three-point attempt. So um, that's a that's a great call-out, Chip. Now, <laughs> finally, um, I believe we're ready for the 11th pick, Orlando's second pick of the lottery, and they took Jet Howard, the familiar name, uh, the son of Jawan Howard from Michigan. And you know, is he is he the shooter that the that the Magic need? What do we what do we need to know about him? Yeah, Jet can definitely shoot. Jet is like Jet's known for his passing is pretty underrated. His passing is pretty good. He's known for having being super fluid athlete at like six seven six eight, and just having a very very nice handle. He has got some crazy crossovers and stuff in his in his quote unquote bag. And being a very good shooter on top of it. He's very much a wing who can create his own shot and can pass pretty well. And definitely is very much a shooter and very much a ball handler. Interestingly, Draft Twitter had him 19th uh, on their consensus board. And the highest placement anyone had him was 9th. So do you think this was a situation where the Magic just like him and and you see a lot of uh potential for him as a player we know orlando's a young team so the timeline allows for development or do you think they were looking for a shooter because uh i'm not sure if anyone out there has seen the magic lately but they are not a team of outside shooters i think if they were looking for a shooter and they passed on grady dick at that point they made a very weird connection there i I had jet i think 14th on my board so i don't think it was like a reach by any means i think this was his range and i think they they got a guy who can create shots and play without the ball and keep the ball moving on offense i think they got a really good player is he more on the project side or do you think he's going to be part of this rotation that the magic have i mean i think they have aspirations with their young players growing to be much more competitive this season Where, where do you see him fitting in i think he'll be a part of the rotation but i think he's a project okay I like it. I like it. Um, the next pick at number 12, this was part of that trade, I think, right? Was he yeah, traded yeah, back to Dallas? The, this was the OKC Dallas. This is the Case and Wallace got swapped. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of swapping um, to keep track of. This is Derek Lively II yep. from Duke. Duke University. He's, he's a big man, a true big man. He's a huge dude. What do we need to know about him? Yeah, Derek Lively is probably the biggest case this year of in-season development. Uh, at the beginning of the year, he barely even played. Uh, he, like, wasn't playing, and it kind of looked like he might not even get drafted. And then throughout the year, his pick-and-roll defense, like, his drop coverage was probably the single greatest, like, in-season development of this year and probably the single greatest in-season development of, like, the last few years. He really started to thrive as, like, a drop defender. So, I mean, he's a big man. Dallas, I think, drafted for need here. They needed a big. I don't think you can blame them for taking the best big on the board. Uh, really good in drop coverage. Showed some flashes as a passer. He didn't really do much on offense away from the rim. He's very much like a rim runner on offense at this point, and that's kind of it. He's pretty thin, but I think he's got the potential to be a very, very impactful pick-and-roll defender. And, I, you know, you can't go wrong with that. Uh, can he catch lobs? Can he set screens, roll down the paint, and get above the rim and catch lobs? Well, he's pretty thin, so I don't know about the setting screens part. But he can catch lobs. I do believe in his hands. Okay. I, I'm asking for the obvious elephant in the room, which is that he's going to get to play with Luka Doncic. And if they need a big man who can defend and get minutes, I think it's very much going to be a, a fit situation in that mold where if you can be the rim runner, we've seen them use an undersized Dwight Powell in this position. But the screening side of it is really interesting. Like, does he just need to hit the weight room because the understanding the screening dynamic with a pick and roll operator like Luca 
is, I don't want to say half the battle, but it's probably like a quarter of the battle. You need to understand the angle. You need to understand how to flip it. And that gets you free down the paint into space for the pick and roll game that he's so incredible at running. Yeah, I mean, I think he just needs more time to practice the technique because, I mean, in the NBA, you get to set illegal screens pretty often. So he just (laughs) needs to start setting illegal screens like everyone else does, and I think he'll be good. So you're saying he should study some Bam Adebayo film? Yeah, he should be in the the Bam Adebayo, Draymond Green, Kelly Olenek school of screen. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think it's time to talk about shooters, right? Did we get to the shooters row part of the draft? Yes, we did very much get to shooters row. With the 13th pick... The Toronto Raptors um, take from Kansas, Grady Dick. He was 11th on the Twitter draft boards. Uh, and Chip, tell us what we need to know about him, and especially, of course, this, this shooting element. Yeah, I mean, Grady is like a sensational shooter. I mean, he, he really, really, the shot diversity, everything, like he is going to be a knockdown shooter in the NBA for 10 years. Um, going to be like one of the better shooters in the league. Uh, but the, the important thing to keep in mind with Grady, I think he's a legit 6'7", so he's, he's got size on the wing. A lot of times we get these guys who are great shooters coming out of college, and it, it's just they kind of do that, and then they get to the NBA, and all they can do is shoot, and they become weird to play. Grady is definitely more than a shooter. He's like actually more than a shooter. I feel like people say this every year with the shooter gets, that gets drafted in the lottery, and I'm usually the one saying, no, it's just a shooter. I don't <laughs> like them. Grady is definitely actually seriously more than a shooter. Um, he's got a lot of really promising like defensive instincts and he's got good size and I think he definitely holds water day one on defense and I think he's potential to be very good on defense like a defensive positive even so not just the typical shooter and I think his finishing craft is really good he's really smart attacking closeouts getting himself downhill he's a very smart player I think this is a slam dunk pick for the Raptors I think it's phenomenal uh, would you say he's ready to contribute right now yeah definitely ready to contribute okay uh, so with the pick right after him we get Jordan Hawkins from New Orleans, or he goes to New Orleans. He's a shooter from Connecticut, but this is a different type of shooter and player and build, I think. Um, tell us about Jordan. Yeah, Jordan Hawkins is one of my sad... This happens to me a lot where I pick up <laughs> on a prospect. Like freshman year, Jordan Hawkins played like eight games at like 10 minutes a game. So he played 80 minutes. And I was like, this guy's got a lot of potential. He could be really good, even though no one wanted to take him serious as a prospect. And I came in the next year. I was like, yeah, dude, like late first round. I love Jordan Hawkins. He'd be a very, he should be a legit prospect. People should, And now he's in the lottery. And <laughs> that's, that's very high. It's, it's, you, they've gone past you is what you're saying. Yes, I've been yeah, lapped. Yeah. Yeah, I've had uh, this happen as well, by the way, on many, many an NBA player who uh, Shea Gilders Alexander is the most recent one that I can think of. Like, I was like, I love him. I love him. I love him. I love him. And then you wake up and people are like, Shea is a top 10 player. And I'm like, I don't I don't love him as much as you do, apparently. Uh, so go ahead with with Jordan. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if, if you watched college basketball season, he was probably the best or second best player on the best team in the country. UConn won the national title, so that's always really cool. He is a sensational shooter. I mean, I talked about Grady, like, waxed about his shooting. Jordan Hawkins is probably a better shooter. He's probably the best shooter in the draft class. Just off the movement, instant release, super high release. He's a pretty good leaper, so he gets up pretty high. Just, like, a super quick, lightning-quick release. Can shoot off movement, doesn't matter. Shoot off the dribble, off the catch. The questions with Jordan Hawkins are he's 6'5", 180, so he's pretty small. He's pretty slender. Defensively, he like, gets over screens well and fights well, but I think like in terms of playing really physically on defense, he's going to struggle. And then 
he doesn't really get many assists. He doesn't really rebound the ball super well. He doesn't get a ton of like steals and blocks. So it's kind of just the shooting at this point. I don't really buy much of the self-creation stuff on offense. Coming off like dribble handoffs and shooting, I think it'll be great. I'm not sold on a lot of the other things, so I was probably a bit lower on this pick. I, I didn't love it, but I do think he can definitely impact the game as a shooter, and I, I think he can develop into being good on defense and other things, but right now I'm a bit questioning those things. Do you have his shooting numbers offhand uh, as, as an elite shooter, and, and will you um, pull those if you need to? I, I The little of him I was able to see, uh, I think the off-ball stuff, and maybe you can talk about him and Grady Dick as well in this mold, just is one thing to be a good shooter. I think the second element is, are you shooting off the live dribble? Do you have that sort of connection to, to transition from the dribble into a pickup, a gather, and a shot under, under duress from a defender? Of course, nowadays we have step backs, we have side steps, we have all this stuff. But the third part the part that I've obviously spent a lot of time creating content on over the years is off the ball. Are you good at running routes? Do you have good feels for how to use screens and back cuts and pop out? And then that third part of your shooting element, as we talked about um, with a couple players already, is like I'm coming off a handoff, I'm coming off a pick, and I'm turning and swinging and catching on the move. Jordan, from what I saw, feels like he definitely has that last element maybe talk about him and even um dick and any other shooter in this draft if you if you would in that area yeah i definitely think you're right on like the swinging around coming off like changing his body position shooting off dirty footwork as they say like that type of stuff very very good for him um hawkins shooting numbers he was 38.8 percent on 15 attempts per 100 possessions which is monumental volume um shot 88.7 percent from the line on a lot of it was 140 free throw attempts at 88%. So, I mean, he definitely, definitely can shoot. Um, On the catch this season, he was 41%. Off the dribble from three, he was 31%, 18 from 58, which I think kind of plays into those self-creation concerns a bit. And then, like we talked about with Kaysen, where he had those off the dribble twos, those mid-range shots that went really well for him, uh, Jordan was 34.7% on those, which is not the best. So I think Jordan, I don't know if he's going to be creating his own shots, but in terms of like shooting off movement and stuff, he's probably one of the best shooters in the world. So Okay. Okay. And you, um, you know, you had your, your little point about sometimes you're the one saying to pump the brakes on shooters. And we've seen that before, by the way. I, I, I think that's a really important thing to point out. Shooting is such an important skill and teams in the last few years are drafting players, this goes all the way back to the Jason Caponos and Steve Novaks and kind of like shooting specialists of the world. But if you can't do more than that, you kind of always hang out on the edge of a rotation or sometimes totally out of the rotation. Um, Where where does he sit in that spectrum? Are you concerned that this is a a quote-unquote one-dimensional player as a shooter? Or do you think he brings more to the table or has more to grow into? I think he has more to grow into, but right now he doesn't bring a ton more. And I think we talked at the we talked at the top about expressing pragmatism and saying that on average there's 20 guys that like stick per class. I think I had Jordan Hawkins 26th on my board, so that's out of the I'm very confident this guy will stick range. Yep, he was 21st on the Twitter draft board. So so it sounds like on our little three point scale, you're leaning more toward project than someone who's ready to come in and contribute right away. 
Yeah, I, I would lean towards project on that one. And also, I pulled this up since we did talk about going back to the Grady Dick thing, and I just noticed that Grady Dick shot 23 of 43, 53.5% on off the dribble threes. Hmm. Okay. That's that, how many? Does it have the number of attempts? 43. Okay. That's uh, that's still good though. You even yeah. though it's a small number of attempts when you're making all of them, that's a that's a good indicator. Um, hard to complain there. So. I mess this up every year. I think that's the end of the lottery now, right? That is, we, yes. We, 14. Okay. Huh. If, if we could get a podcast editor to come in and play some golf claps or something, I've, I've officially figured out that the lottery is 14 picks. So as we talked about, 11 through 20, this like end of the lottery, uh, post-lottery period, has produced a lot of good players and some good sort of sleeper stars in the last, I think, decade is the numbers we ran last time. Um Chip, I'll give you the floor. Who is a player or two, or if you have three you're super excited about, in the next like six or seven picks that kind of jump out to you as someone who could be either really good down the road that you like in that direction, or someone who you just are like, no, this is going to be the dude when we go through summer league, when we go to next year, he's going to be Jalen Williams. He's going to be in the rotation, and you're going to start talking about how he's a, a good player right away. What, what are the names we need to look for here? Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a couple here. I would say the first one that jumps out to me, it's I, I want to start with one, but it's impossible to not start with a different one. Cam Whitmore at 20. Is, okay, yeah, so before Chip even goes, that was the guy earlier I was alluding to that has been uh, mocked, or I shouldn't say mocked, but placed as high as three on some Twitter draft boards, and he was sixth overall on the Twitter draft consensus board. So they were very high on him, and he comes all the way down to 20th. Uh, what, what, what's going on there? Injuries. There was some long-term injury that he got red flagged for. There were okay. red flag injury concerns. So that's why he fell. Okay. Um, and am I remembering correctly off the top of my head, isn't he a very explosive athlete? Yes. Yeah, okay. So the injury concerns um, now are some of his testing numbers and vertical leap footage that I've seen and things like that, are they post-injury or are they pre-injury? I mean, the, from I don't want to go into details because I'm not 100% sure and what, I'm, what I would be saying is just like rumors basically that I've okay, heard. Okay, got it. But from my understanding, it's like, a, it's like a long-standing degenerative thing. So it would be like during injury, I guess you would say. So, well, there's just a, there's just a long-term durability yeah. concern. Yeah. But okay. I mean, athletically, you're looking at like a, like a Miles Bridges type athletic profile. Okay. Yeah. And how tall is he? I think he's six, seven in shoes. So he's yeah. a little shorter, but yeah, but he, I mean, it's, I think that immediately pops in my head cause he's, he's thick and built well. And just like, um, I think someone sent me somewhere, a, a vertical test where he was just off the like 40 inch vertical or something huge so just just a monster athlete but but what else i mean he's the guy who did you want to talk about him more as someone who you think could be good right away yeah i think he definitely can fall in the ready to contribute thing i think he's a weird one where he had kind of basically you know when we're evaluating prospects they're changing teams every few years they go from high school to aau to college right sometimes playing with international teams. So we get to see him in a lot of contexts. And at Villanova and at, in AAU, which are kind of the two, you know, college and AAU are kind of the two big contexts to evaluate in for us. His role was not really what you would want his role to be. In the offense, he was kind of told to just stand in the corner a lot of the times. And then on defense, he wasn't used as like a weak side rim protector, which when you think of like six seven crazy athlete, you think of like some weak side, second side rim protection, you know, jumping and contesting shots at the rim. He wasn't really asked to do that much. 
but he projects as someone who can do that. So, I mean, I think defensively he can definitely be impactful, but I definitely think there's concerns about him, like, sticking to guys on the perimeter. And then offensively, he can definitely, like, as a second-side attacker, like, getting that closeout, he's going to be, like, impossible to stop. And I think he can shoot pretty well. Like, he's a pretty good bet to shoot. By the way, he went 20th to the yes. Rockets. Um, so we've seen this before. Uh, the the big one in recent memory that jumps into my head is Michael Porter Jr. in 18. You may be able to think of another one in between that. But you get these guys that people agree on skill-wise, talent-wise, uh, are are higher and then the injury concerns pull them down and you're sort of taking a flyer or a risk compared to the way other teams assess them but man i mean houston is just going to have some athletes this season it's going to be fun to watch Uh, i'm not sure if you have anything else to mention on him the last thing i'd say with whitmore is if you if you're looking to have some fun i know there's a video out there of him playing in the fiba u18 americas where he had like 40 dunks over the course of like eight games uh, so if you want to, if you want some fun, you can look up like Cam Whitmore, Phoebe U18's all dunks. There's a video out there. It's a very fun video and it'll kind of show the type of athlete we're talking about. Okay. So, uh, I have a hunch about at least one other name that you're going to mention in this group who you like to kind of potentially be a really good sleeper pick. In- interestingly, I think he's from the same college as last Jared year's. Williams, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. uh, tell us about, uh, well, go ahead. Brandon Pajemski. Yeah, Brandon Pajemski went to the University of Illinois um, last year and then transferred to Santa Clara and kind of exploded over draft boards. I think he averaged something like 19 points, nine rebounds, and like four assists. Um, I kind of view him similarly like Pat Connaughton, but with more offensive creation, which I think puts you in some very interesting kind of player realm because I think every team kind of wishes they had Pat Connaughton as like a guard who can like rebound and has a high motor and can stick to his guy and also, you know, shoot. But getting one who can also run a pick and roll and take a step back three kind of changes things and takes it to another level. And Golden State is quite the fit for him. I think this is probably, I mean, it's hard to argue against Cam Whitmore at 20 for best value. But if we ignore Cam Whitmore falling for injury concerns, I think this was the best value pick in the draft. Pajemski at 19 for Golden State. So are you more excited about him because of that sort of shell that you could just describe that he can grow into where ultimately that's regardless of being a star that's like a good nba player who can do all those things plus run pick and roll and plus do some stuff with the ball or are you saying that golden state uh next season has someone who can be part of the rotation and contribute because he is buttoned up defensively he does have a high motor he can shoot is that what is that what you're i would definitely have him ready to contribute i think he will be in golden state's rotation come playoff time this year i love it chip chip jones you heard it the Warriors are going to make the playoffs this year. That was a <laughs> they got Chris Paul. They got so many Hall of Fame guards back. Oh, that's true. They have Chris Paul now. Yes, a, a lineup of Hall of Famers. Um, okay, anyone else in this in this group? Um, and if you have no one else, I have a player I want to ask you about. We have. I want to get your thoughts on best teams before we get out of here. Best best team uh, sort of drafting night. But anyone else in this group? In this in this range, I would say. Quick shout-outs to Keontae George, the Jazz pick at 16. I think Keontae was kind of the – I think a lot of people viewed him as like, yeah, he's good, but he's not super exciting sort of thing. But he's very good. He's a good second-side attacker. I think he's a guard who can kind of have – he needs to develop more his like on-ball stuff and some of his – he's a quick processor but not a good decision-maker. He makes decisions quickly, but they're not always the right ones. 
So kind of refining that and becoming better and making the correct decision because he's a very good dribbler. He's a good pass, like a solid passer, and he's a very good shooter. So he's got, you know, when you get the ball, all you can do is pass, dribble, or shoot. He's good at all three of those. He just needs to make the decision of which to do at what time. But I do think he's got a lot of upside, and he's a, he's a well-built, strong guard. Um, and then also Jalen Hutchifino, who the Lakers took. I think that was a really good pick. Um, kind of blew up this season because he started shooting when he didn't do that in high school. He, he couldn't really shoot at, I think it was IMG, I think? Maybe I'm, I might, I'm probably wrong on that one. But he couldn't shoot in high school, and then this year he comes in and starts shooting really well for Indiana. I think he was like 40-something percent on above-the-break NBA range threes, shot really, really well in the mid-range. I think when you look at like, kind of like what Austin Reeves did this season for the Lakers, I think Jalen Shavino can do similar things. Uh, Keontae George, by the way, was 16th on Twitter's draft board. Um, who did you just mention? Jalen uh, Hood Shafino. He was 22nd. Thank you. This is, I have a goldfish memory at this point in the season. Um, Hood Shafino was 22nd. And um, Brandon Pojaminski, did I get that wrong? Pajemski? I, I was pitching a perfect game, Chip, this season. I, I, I could have just my, told you you're right. No, I did my homework, and uh, you just said his name, and I, I had a Mike Krusharuski moment. There's an old commercial, for those who um, don't know it, where Coach Krzyzewski's name at Duke obviously has a wild spelling. It's like K-Z, y, there's like a Y-Z. There's a lot of stuff going on at the front of the word. Uh, and so he it's like a March Madness on the road to the final four and he gets in a limo and the guy like gets his information and, he, and the limo driver turns around to him and says something like, where would you like to go today, Mr. Krusherowski? Uh That's that's how I just felt right now. Um, the guy I wanted to ask you about before you tell us about who you think the best team of the night was and any sleepers from the second round that we haven't mentioned we want to give a shout out to uh, Bryce Sensenbaugh, right? He was 12th on Twitter's draft board, and he was not 12th in the draft. He went 28th to Utah. Do you have, do you have thoughts on him? Where are you on him? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I'll, we'll start off the bright sense about thing with one stat, because we've talked about, we talked, touched on this a few times, but this is something that uh, evaluators for prospects use a lot, is mid-range off-the-dribble shooting just generally projects really well. Those guys who shoot like elite numbers from the mid-range usually end up being quite good in the NBA. It's like if you could pick one stat to project from for like offensive value, it would be like mid-range off the dribble in college. Bryce took 97 uh, off the dribble twos. So pretty solid sample size, not huge, but pretty solid. Shot 52.6% on them. So, I mean, he's built like a 6'5 linebacker. He's just incredibly strong (laughs) built 19-year-old who also is like one of the better shooting touch prospects. He shot 117 catch-and-shoot threes, shot 44.4%, 52.6% on those uh, mid-range off-the-dribble shots. So, I mean, he's just an incredible shooting prospect, really good at getting to his spots and getting a shot off. I believe he's also a an injury concern faller. Okay, interesting. But, yeah, but- I think that was an A-plus pick. I think it was Utah, right? Yeah, Utah at 28. A-plus. Yeah. Very good. Well, that's a, that's a good segue to your favorite drafts of the night by team. Do you have a couple? I think last year you gave us a couple. This year, give us a couple teams who the totality of their draft 
both in terms of the talent and the and the overall long term prospects that they picked up, and maybe even the development fit and all that. Like, who who do you look at and go, I I love their draft. Yeah, well, first we'll start with a shout-out to the Philadelphia 76ers, who did not have a draft pick, but still landed Ricky Council and Terquavion Smith, which I think if you look at the consensus board are probably both top 40 guys. They might even be first-round guys. Ricky Council is 44. Okay. And, uh, sorry, who was the other player they picked up? Terquavion Smith. Yeah, he's 34. Yeah, okay. So they got two pretty solid prospects despite not even having a draft pick. So you got to give a quick shout-out to Philly. They did really well for themselves tonight. Um the Warriors, I mean, I talked about Pajemski. I could talk about that one all day. Phenomenal pick. And then they got Trace Jackson Davis, who I don't know. I don't know. He might be first round on the consensus board. He's probably in the 30s. There are a he's, lot of he's 31. Yeah, okay, he's 30. Yeah. He's 31. But I, I, I just want to point out, I lied earlier. He's actually, okay. he's actually another player who was ranked as high as second on someone's board. So uh, there is a huge Trace Jackson Davis fan out there. Now, knowing nothing about him really quickly... Is that based on his potential? Does he have all these tools that he could grow into? Or or is he someone who's like a good basketball player right now and he's a second-round pick because, um, you know, teams don't see as much growth opportunity for him? He was a four-year college player who did not attempt a single three and is like 6'9". So, I love it. The 1980s yeah. have called and they are very excited. Yeah, if you watched Indiana's offense under Mike Woodson, I think you would uh, understand. Um, yeah, so, he... C- Cody would love this because Cody wants more Big Ten action in the show. And we've been hitting on Michigan, Ohio State. Now we're now we're uh, back to Indiana. We back have to Chifino's Indiana, too. This, this is great. Take it yeah. away. Keep going. Yeah, no, Trace. I mean, I think the Golden State is probably like anyone coming into the draft would have said if there's one place that Trace could go, that would be like the best fit. It would be Golden State. He's like an undersized plus plus rim protector, like phenomenal. I think he was big. He might have been Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, probably. I think surely he had to be. Um, just a sensational <laughs> defender. In spirit, he was, regardless of who they gave the award to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, I mean, phenomenal defender, and also a very good passer, DHO kind of operator. Uh, really good athlete. Definitely good at like diving, running to the rim, cutting. I think he's just going to be very useful for them. So I think that was at 57 is crazy value. Awesome. Um, who, who else with your favorite teams for the night? Yes. Um, I think I'm starting from the bottom here. I guess I think the Timberwolves did well for themselves. They traded into 33 to get Leonard Miller. Um, and then they also grabbed uh, Jalen Clark towards the end. I think that was really good work. Jalen Clark had a lot of first round buzz and then he tore his Achilles. So he probably won't see him in summer league, but really good defender from UCLA. Um, probably maybe one of the probably the best on-ball perimeter defender in the class as a forward, and I think he does a lot of cool things on offense too. Even though the shots not there, uh, I think that was really good. And then Leonard Miller is a draft Twitter favorite. Chip has been a Leonard Miller fan for a for a very long time. Uh, and Minnesota, by the way, did not even have a first round pick, so no. this is all second round work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Leonard Miller is six six ten, six eleven forward. Really good touch. Really cool movement skills. A uh, great passer. So I mean, he he does a lot of things really well. He went to the G League Ignite and was very very good for them this year. I think he was averaging like in the mid teens and points and like ten rebounds a game at the G League as a nineteen year old. So I mean, he produced against pros. He he's got the tools and the size, and I think he's got a lot of really cool skills. So I think that was a good pick. Maybe the the Nas Reed. Uh, protege replacement long term um <laughs> and then i think the other the other team that i think deserves like definitely an a plus for their draft 
would be the Los Angeles Lakers. They really, really, really did well for themselves. Um, they got, as we already talked about, Jalen Hachifino, I think, was a really good pick. And then the one that really blows it away was um, getting, what is it, at 40? Yeah, 40, Maxwell Lewis from Pepperdine. I don't know where he's in the contestants. Probably first round, if I had to guess. Maxwell he's, Lewis. He's 25th, yeah. 25th, okay, yeah. yeah. Really, really cool 6'7 sophomore shot creator. Just great footwork, really cool movement skills. He's got super long stride lengths, good athlete. Just a lot of things to like for him offensively, and I think he's going to be the new Lakers second-round pick that they're able to develop because he's got all these offensive skills, and then everyone gets really annoyed that they're getting hyped up so much when they were a second-round pick, and everyone's like, if they're on any other team, they wouldn't get all this hype. So be ready to hear the name Maxwell Lewis a lot because he's, I think, going to be very good for them. Uh, any other teams? I feel like implicitly from talking this through with you, you like Utah's draft. Am I yeah. misreading that? I do. I do like Utah's draft. I don't love the Taylor Hendricks fit because of what we talked about where he's like not very read and react and they're a super read and react system. But I think Keontae was a really good pick for that. I think Bryce Sunsabal is just incredible value where they got him. Uh, I'm not sure if they did anything in the second round, but I know it doesn't seem like they had any second round picks. But I do know they signed Tavion Kinsey from Marshall as an undrafted free agent. I think Tavion Kinsey's been a guy who has been on the fringes for a lot of years, and this year he finally went. And really cool 6'5 guard who can do a lot of things other than shoot. So I mean, if he can shoot, he'd be very good. Um, yeah, I think that was really good. Uh, I like, oh, I like special shout out to the Suns. They only had one pick at 52. I think it's the last pick they have for the next century. But. <laughs> Tumani Kamara from Dayton. I was at uh, Portsmouth Invitational, which is a tournament where 64 college seniors get invited and all the teams are there with scouts and representatives. Tumani Kamara was so good after the first game. I think he put up like 20 points and like 14 rebounds or something that like the buzz around the arena, no one thought he was actually going to play like the rest of the games. They thought like he had earned himself a spot to get drafted. I think with how the Suns depth issue is, if Tumani can hit a three, which is a big if, but he's really good at getting rim pressure from the perimeter without needing like a screen, which for a forward is pretty crazy. Great rebounder, really good defender. I, I know for a fact he was the A-10 defensive player of the year. Um, and so I think for him, I think he could play in. He could be ready to contribute for the Suns this year at the 52nd pick, which how their rotation is. So I think that was really cool. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think I didn't like picking Brandon Miller over Scoot Henderson, but every other pick the Hornets made, I think, was really good. So I like that. Um, the, the, the Hornets had uh, Colby Jones from Xavier in the second round, I believe, right? He was traded to the Kings. Okay, so who did they uh, who did they end up with? Can you summarize? They, they have all these picks on the board and many, many drafts, like uh, yes. Amari Bailey from UCLA and things like that. Could you quickly summarize uh, who they ended up with? Yes, I believe they ended up with Amari Bailey from UCLA, like you mentioned. I believe they also ended up with Nick Smith Jr. from okay. yep. uh, Arkansas, who is my number five rated prospect. They Ooh. got him. Pretty, pretty late, but yeah, Nick's, Nick's a fun one. So I think they had Nick Smith, they had uh, Brandon Miller, and they had Amari Bailey. Uh, Chip, do you have anything going on that you want to let people know about? Where can people find any of the other cool work you're doing these days? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter, uh, at ChipJNBA, and then I, I also run a, a scouting service, so we do uh, draft scouting and post a lot of content on there. We have our big board and a lot of other articles. I know there's a lot of stuff going on about fit. We had our own tool to kind of predict fits for players and what are the best fits, so we have a lot of articles coming up about that, and you can find that on Twitter, at SwishTheory, or uh, at theswishtheory.com, so that that's kind of my stuff. And then I've got some stuff going on at this Thinking Basketball place, too. So you can check out Thinking Basketball. 
This, this, this is always exciting, especially with the summer. We get to reboot Chip with a new... We, he has like a period of time before we start getting all the clips from the, from the next draft coming in. Uh, this, this was great. Thanks, as always, for taking the time to do this. Really appreciate it. If you want to support us directly, patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball. That's the best way to do that. Uh, we also have... I I'm, I'm, think I'm wearing one. Yeah, we also have uh, apparel... If you want to get that at shop.thinkingbasketball.net. Um, oh, you're, are you are you lamenting not wearing your? Yeah, I should have worn my Thinking Basketball merchandise. Yeah, what do you have? Do you have a hoodie? I have a T-shirt. It's How do you very like the t-shirt? soft. It fits well. It's very good. You uh, should yeah. buy it <laughs> if if you want. If you want, I don't I don't like uh, demanding that people go make purchases like that. So uh, patreon.com slash thinking basketball. Thanks as always for listening to this one. Hope you enjoy it. And of course that you are having a great 